bullshit, it's all just um gay politics. America's gotten kind of whack, but we're not gonna let it go down like that, cause we got a dumb gay podcast, a dumb gay political podcast. We probably don't have all the facts, but we got opinions and we'll probably backtrack. That's why it's a dumb gay podcast, a dumb gay political podcast. Ooh, it's all shit, it's all shit. It's all shit. It's all shit. I mean, are we gonna die? I don't know. I, I, you're extreme. I am extreme. It's all shit. Uh uh. This shit is bananas. B A A A A S. This shit is Trumpanas. T R U M P A N A N A S. What? I don't know. I don't even know. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dumb Gay Pandemic <laughs> Politics. I'm Julie. And I'm Brandy. And this is the podcast where we talk about the week in coronavirus politics. Like we're talking about reality TV. Happy beginning of summertime, ma'am meow. Summertime. I mean, it's June gloom here yeah. in LA as we do, and it's real. I mean, it's overcast and cool in the morning. It's breezy and chilly. I'm not mad. Nope, but currently then it right now, burning hot, and then it becomes <laughs> for two hours. And yes, it's absolutely unbearable. Yes. and whatever you were wearing yes. is wrong. Wrong. Then it goes back to being cold. Yes, and everyone's freezing. Yeah, and then also you're you've already put the air conditioner on, and you're like, finally some relief. But then all of a sudden you're like, why am I freezing cold? Because now you have AC on and the blue blowsy. Yeah, and then God knows you love to do. A little thing called open and close the windows, open and close the windows, open and close. I do. Oh, let's let the breeze in. Let's let the breeze in. And I'm like, I will never, my, for all I know, my shit could be like sealed shut. Like, I'm like, nope, just going to do manufactured air in here. Oh, I love fresh air. Oh, how I love it. <laughs> oh, how I love it so much. I love having the windows open and feeling a breeze. Now, I open doors. I just leave doors wide open. You do open doors. But I don't open windows just because it's just like a whole thing. I'm talking about I love fresh air, but I mean, as my cooling temp, yes. I like uh, I like an AC. Right. To cool me immediately. Yeah, right. No, I like, I like yeah. an AC to cool me immediately <laughs> yeah. as well. But you also love, let's turn this off and open all the windows. And then 20 minutes later, nope, this is not, this isn't, this isn't going to work. This isn't exactly what I had in mind. Yeah, I'm not, I can never commit to a climate. Now, restaurants are opening back up in LA. Mm -hmm. Your knee is getting better. It's getting better. It's getting better. And regardless of what status your knee is, what status, mm -hmm. we've been out here on these streets partying like it's 2019. <laughs> we've been true. up in the restaurants, honey. In the restaurants. Oh, I mean, sorry that we have to peruse through the celebritas. We went to dinner with Leah Black on Friday night in West Hollywood. Uh, our friend Leah, for those of you who don't, who don't know. Um, and we saw John Kasich, the former Republican governor of Ohio. Uh, and we did our usual shtick of brandy flirts with a philanderer so that I can swoop in and ask them to be on our podcast. Um, yeah. But... I, would, I mean, I'm going to say, I think that that... I, I, in my opinion, mm -hmm. uh, with uh, I think that that usually works for us. And, yes, I think uh, yes. And I thought you looked healthier than you have, <laughs> literally since it, entire, including the entire pandemic. Like knee be damned. Like your shit was. I cut your hair. It was like it has reached full pomp. <laughs> the skin has that of a skin tone again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A person who's alive. Right. Mm -hmm. 
I guess your knee has deflated to an point where it can be in pants. Right. You basically look like someone who's on crutches just trying to get like a, a handicap parking space or something. Like it be, it's at this point you look so good. It's like embarrassing. It's like, what do they think? They think that you've got like. But the thing is, if I don't have the crutches the way I'm, I can't. The hobbling is then. Yeah. Wow. That's embarrassing. It's almost like we need a full like one of those neck wraps that people wear when yes. they get around yeah. your knee. Whiplash. Yeah. But we I need it on your... from a, oh, from you a carousel. A, you need a full leg brace yes. outside your pants. Yes, yes, right. Like the one you came home from the hospital in. Well, maybe when we go out next time, we should put it on. Yes, just so that... God knows you couldn't you couldn't even eat dinner with that thing on. No, you could barely. You're like, when can I get this off? I'm like, Jesus, I think we should leave that on for a little bit. I know I had that had to come. I can't even having pants on it is the nerves are firing. There's a fire inside my entire body. I I've, I have fibromyalgia now. It's insane. However, I tried to show the picture to Leah and the table. I mean, this wasn't even at dinner this past Friday. This was like the very first dinner we went with them. I was like, here's what Julie's knee looks like. I was like, no. <laughs> No, not right now, please. The thing is that, you know, John Kasich is is a skank, is a skank for the gods. And I'm not afraid to say it and bring on a libel suit. I don't give that's my oh, opinion. Oh, please. Oh, my God. I mean, I just want to say that I, for the record, I need it on the record, Your Honor, that that shtick that we do uh-huh. usually works like a charm because honestly, you come with your own curb your enthusiasm cachet. Like you're bringing your own, you know, your own uh, je ne sais quoi to the partay. So bon vivants, viva la bon France. Bon vivants. And who is an exception? You know, uh, and you know what? You're absolutely right. Normally, even for a man who's looking yes. to, to stick his dick in something and he knows that he's reached the border wall, the wall of Jerusalem, and I'm nothing that anyone's looking for. However, we can usually have of laughing and there's something we have going the tag on. team down to a science yes and i think but it's clear wow. john Kasich, wow. and i mean he had only one thing on his mind <laughs> and one thing only and and i can say it wasn't doing our stupid fucking podcast <laughs> so you know what that means ma'am meow yeah i do know <laughs> it means that john Kasich can go fuck himself yeah so aaron cordova gave you a gift certificate for sprinkles Cupcakes, Mamma, for your birthday. Not mad at that. Aaron Cornova Cordova. I hope Aaron Cordova has reached out to Wendy Williams with a cease and desist on Cornova because, <laughs> like, he's like, that's my shit. That's my trademark. Mm. So he's the first person on record with your birthday gift. Yes. It's not until the 28th. Correct. And he wrote in the message, Enjoy a full-sized cake for Meow Meow's birthday. That is so nice. That is so sweet. sweet is that? And I'm so stoked that he sent it this early so that we can peruse the website at our leisure. (laughs) And then we can plan a little birthday shindig for you. And I can pretend that I paid for it. I love it. I'm going to be like, look at this. And they're going to be like, can you fucking believe she got that sprinkles cake? How baller is that? (laughs) I mean, how baller? I have never even seen. Me either. Yeah, I didn't know sprinkles had cakes. And you know, it's all full circle because Aaron Cordova saw Trisha Paytas oh. down like I I don't know if he said this or if I created this but it was definitely around that little square block of like Rodeo yeah, Santa Monica little Santa area. Monica and I said was she in front of fucking sprinkles crying oh mm-hmm. and I'm just like it's just all connected you know it all it all comes back to Trisha Paytas it really 
really does. All roads lead <laughs> to trash. Now, to facilitate the downtime with your knee healing, yeah, one of our generous Patreon friends, Stacy Van Ness. I love last names with Van. Mm-hmm. You know, it what I mean? sounds like royalty. Van Owen, Van Cartier, yeah. Van Dilettante. Van Klinkles. Van Van Cleef. (laughs) Oh, Van Cleef. Van Cleef. (laughs) Van Dykstra. Van Dyke. I love it. It's so... Yeah, it does sound like royalty. Yep. It sounds like a Dutch royaltress. You know Uh, what I mean? Is it a Dutch thing? Like, like say, Van Eyes here, Boulevard? Is that... that Rip Van Winkle. (laughs) Is that a Dutch... I'm not entirely sure, but I believe... Yeah, like Mm. Van Eyck. Mm-hmm. I always think it's Dutch. Well, I love it. And... um, Stacy sent you a bunch of activity books. She got you a learning about Jesus coloring book, mm. a book of Mormon heroes. Oh, yes. I thought there was only one Mormon hero, and it was John Smith. I mean, he's the main one, right? He's the main one. I Yeah, I don't know about the sort of intricacies <laughs> yeah. of all the heroes of Mormonism. I see a guy with a big axe on the front, kind of like, what's his name? John Bundy? Or what's that guy's name? Who? The guy who has the big axe. Is- oh, 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 the lumber, the lumberjack guy. Yeah. Um, I can't remember that dude's name. Paul Bunyan. Paul Bunyan. Not John Bundy. Paul Bunyan. <laughs> is Paul Bunyan a Mormon hero, Mimma? Paul Bunyan? Look at that. Okay, let's see. Now you're looking at that? Yeah. That looks like a Roman, maybe someone from the Roman times. Oh, well, from here, it looks like a big, huge guy with an axe about to chop a tree down. What's yeah, he, what's he holding I in Roman times? I think he's time? like building uh, something for a boat. Oh. Mm. I don't know who that is. I don't even know. Lehi and mm. Nephi. His name is Nephi. Oh, Jacob, sure. Well, she also got you a Book of Mormon activity Enos. book, Junior. So you can learn all about it in this little activity book. It's like crosswords oh and such. Now, not for nothing, I love a coloring book with lots of negative space. Yeah. I don't yeah. like it when the pictures are too busy. Yeah. And this one looks great. Oh my god, that's the perfect amount of coloring space. Yeah, it's a it's honestly it's it's like <gasps> everything a kid could want and that means us and they tell you a little blurb about each Mormon bullshit fake hero. <laughs> Look so at this. So great, Stacy. I love it. Then you really hit the jackpot, Stacy, when you Ooh. got the Star Trek Cats. Okay. This is like I okay. go, what is this? I'm like looking, the minute Mamma picks it up, she's like I need to I'm gonna watch every one of these she wants to go and watch every episode it's from season one right the first Star Trek and it's like scenes with cats so but of all different episodes right so you want to basically take the book like a handbook yes and locate every scene yep that's correct and go here's William Shatner that is correct yes the book is pretty sick I absolutely love it. The, here's the here's the the episode list. I'm I'm set. I'm set. I'm so set. Then last but not least, she got you conquer the day. A beautifully whimsical. This is amazing. Honestly. It's like a book of affirmations. Yeah, Stacy, we look. We've already looked. We look at it every day already. We just go in it like the Bible. We just open it at random, but then we don't stop because we just keep going. It's cute. It's whimsical. It's sad. It's it's thoughtful, provoking. It's it's <laughs> insightful. It's giving you um, Shel Silverstein vibes all day long. Conquer the day, Mama. Who's it by? It's by John McCouch, and he's the artist behind At Pants Pants. That's his at mention. 
God, we've been hearing a lot about pants today. That's weird. Um, there's like one where there's sort of like an old man and he's sitting with his legs aggressively crossed, like tight, like aggressively crossed. And yeah. it says, reality will bend to my will. And then his thought bubble says, drinking milk will no longer give me diarrhea. <laughs> That's so good. It's, just, it's the cutest book and it is... It's all positive affirmations and about anything like I clean up my messes, I fix what I break. And it's not for right. kids. I mean, no. it's it's adults doing these things because God knows we break <sighs> things and just go, yeah, no, I'm one, I'm going to pretend I didn't do that if I'm not in my own house. And two, <laughs> I'm going to fix that later. I do that all the time. And I'm then we wait too long to fix it. Way too long. Thank I love the way it looks so much. And Stacy, um, where is your picture for the Drug Gem Bulletin Board? I, we are not accepting... Anything in here with that. So there better be a photo on its way. You can go to postsnap.com. They have other ones. That's just the one that we always say to use just because that's the only one I ever remember. But you probably just Google it, whatever. <laughs> go ahead. Put a picture from your phone. Have it sent over here. We have to have your picture for the wall. And I will say, you know, it's really full circle because we have a special guest on today's episode. And yep. we posted a little teaser. Yep of the interview on mm -hmm. Twitter and Instagram where you can see the drug den bulletin board in all of its glory. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not really all of its glory because you can't see the whole thing because it goes from floor to ceiling. Right. But you can see around us in the frame of yep. the interview. Yep. And then we're blocking some pictures or whatever. But we need your picture, Stacey. These were all so thoughtful. And it's yeah. like, I need an activity. And my activity is rearranging and ranging and rearranging <laughs> and ranging the drug den bulletin board right. while on drugs and drinking. <laughs> Well, she didn't send her picture, but she did send this note. And she writes, hope you're healing well. I love this artist book of affirmations, so I thought maybe you might like it too. I know how hard recovering from surgery can be. I've helped my mom through a few neck and back surgeries. From Stacey Van Ness. Oh, that's nice. That is really and it nice. it is fucking hard. Get your picture over here, Stacey, you bitch. <laughs> you also, ma'am, got a feminist uh, activity book ooh. all the way from Andione oh in the God. UK. Hey, guys. <sighs> oh, Andione. Can you, across the pond, ma'am. Oh, yeah, across Feminism the pond. Feminism across the pond. And they are, there are some hardcore feminists over there. We love, 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 love fucking Andione. We have yeah. partied, partayed with her. Mm -hmm. We love her, you know, rest in peace. Harry. Yep, her horse. And we just love Andione. It's so sweet. She's one of our original 14 listeners and loyal Patreon from the very first yep. week that yep. we started our fucking stupid Patreon podcast. Mm -hmm. She was there. It would be like it within. I swear she's she is was one of the first 14 listeners of the <laughs> Patreon podcast. Oh, my God. She completely was. And you know what? I believe it. If it wasn't for her, we probably wouldn't have any of the other listeners of which those of you who are listening who are not a part of the Patreon will, because of Andione, also join the Patreon. And if you're curious about it, you go to patreon.com slash demgaypolitics and we do two full more hours of podcasts, okay? They're not politics at all. We do two separate one-hour podcasts. So yep. you don't have to subscribe to both. You can do if you just want one more hour a week. I mean, listen, if someone's listening from the UK, I mean, there's even people listening from Australia. I think that says it all. You know, I, how could I they think, be wrong? I think an international um, uh, board such as is a, <laughs> is a wonderful testimony to the fact that we reach across the pond, across the way, across the uh, the yard, and that we're able to get people from all walks of life, you know? Or all areas. All areas and walks and, and sits and stands. I mean, yeah. I mean, we have people in Canada. We have people from... In America. America. Hawaii. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And we just tell stories and 
I mean, just please join. Like, honestly. <laughs> it has kept us alive. We can tell you that. We are so fucking grateful for the Patreon. I can't even tell you. So what did Andione... So it's a feminist activity. Oh, feminism or feminist? Activity? The feminist activity book. What is it pictures of? Like, sh- like letting your armpit hair grow. Well, some of it is like burning um, bras, <laughs> being like women's lib. I'm doing every old school thing you could ever say. It's basically like doodle alternative uses for a menstrual cup. So there's that. Oh, OK, great. Feminist book club. Read and review some feminist classics. And of course, it's like the color purple. Uh, the beauty myth, fat is a feminist issue, and then it says write your own, you know, write your own books. Oh, that's so that's cute. I yeah. like that. That's almost like a creativity book too. Yeah, look here's color in maxi pads and tampons. They got a lot of menstruation in that book. A lot of menstruation. It's a really big a part of, of being a woman. Well, it happens to us every month. I mean, if we're not suffering <laughs> it from it from when it happens, or suffering after, waiting for it, it's constantly. When am I going to get it? It's never ending. Maybe well, that's why I'm bloated. Andy only sent two cards. First, she says, take it nice and knee, K-N-E-E-Z, kneezy. Where literally it's a picture of two legs and a knee with the band-aids over it. Like, who's that's who's cute. Of that? We're going to keep that here with the, like, collection of cards. Really cute. To my fave American solstice does. Sorry for the delay. Had to wait for the fucking card to come from Etsy. And I got totally fucked up on a school work night and have been recovering for the longest sending international healing vibes you're a pair of troopers love andione I well love it was worth it was worth the wait from etsy and of course we love when anyone has to have a, like a two-week hangover yes. right yes. like we're just like we're not feel alone. you on that nope and then she said get well soon wishing you mugs hugs and effective drugs uh thank you so much andione and stacy and uh aaron and everyone who's been you know sending notes and and well wishes and the gifts and and treats and treats <laughs> and like i you know i i really really appreciate it and all that stuff is really helpful and it really did um and still continues to like you know make me feel cared about and thought of and i appreciate it all right now it's time for jojo and kiki lock the doors lower the blinds All right, so this week, Jojo and Kiki are doing their first international trips of their presidency, and they're doing them separately. Vice President Kamala Harris will be in Guatemala and Mexico, meeting with community organizers, entrepreneurs, and foreign leaders, including the presidents of both Mexico and Guatemala, in hopes of forming partnerships that will help stem the massive flow of immigration from those regions. Like we told you last week, Kiki has been working her ass off on this issue. She set up some super ambitious goals, and her meeting schedule for this trip is jam-packed. Not to mention that some weird-ass mechanical issue happened on her plane and they had to turn around and do an emergency landing back at the airbase she took off from. It was her first foreign trip as vice president and they had to do an emergency landing so they didn't crash. Mm. Are you kidding me? I'm going to go ahead and cancel my trip after that. Mm -hmm. But not her. She got right back on the plane to Guatemala to take care of business. That is correct. And Joe Biden will be leaving for Europe on Wednesday to go to take care of some business as well. 
He's taking his first international trip as president of the United States to go boss up at the G7 summit in England. Just in case you don't know, don't care, or just don't remember, the G7 is a group of seven nations who are allies and best friends forever. The seven besties are America, Canada, Japan, France, Germany, Italy, and the UK. Every year, except last year because of the Runa, a different country hosts the G7 Summit, which is basically a summer party for all seven best friends to catch up and gossip and make summer plans. The Summer Party Summit goes on for three days, and they usually invite a few random countries who are like friends of friends, just so they don't like feel left out or whatever. This year, the UK is hosting the sleepover, and the randoms they invited are South Korea, Australia, India, and South Africa. All cute countries with loads of potential for making it officially into the G group. Okay, so we love all the kids in the G7 crew, even though Germany sometimes grosses us out. And we love when they have their little sleepover party. But this year is extra exciting because Joe Biden is not fucking around. He didn't come to play. He came to win, and that's just what he's going to do. He's been training his entire adult life for moments like this, and he should play Kelly Clarkson's song for when she won American Idol. A moment like this every time he enters a room. Good one. So basically, he'll be at the G7 slumber party in the UK all weekend, the 11th through the 13th. Then on Monday, the 14th, he leaves to go to Brussels for two days to meet with European leaders and some NATO allies who were not invited to the G7 slumber party. And then on Wednesday, June 16th, he goes to Switzerland to have his final meeting before coming home with Vladimir Mm -hmm. motherfucking Putin. And everyone is a titter about Putin. It's funny that Putin is his last meeting of his trip, being that every single meeting he has the entire time he's in Europe will be about Russia. And China. And Russia and China together. And all their bullshit. That's basically the entire agenda of the G7 summit and his NATO meetings. It's like climate change, the pandemic, and what the fuck are we all going to do about China and Russia? Basically, the entire world, except for North Korea, is losing control to China and Russia. In a nutshell, China has bases in Russia where they do nothing but commit cyber warfare on America. Russia allows China, or any nation for that matter, to come and operate from their cyberspace and domains just so long as they guarantee to attack the West. Russia themselves also engage in cyber warfare with America, like meddling with our elections and basically causing the capital insurrection with their constant trolling of lies and misinformation all over every single social media platform, including TikTok, all day, every day for the last six years. Russia's cyber meddling and trolling has graduated up and gotten much more sophisticated with China in the picture now. China likes to be able to have the power to turn off an entire city's power grid or stop our gas supply or interrupt a valuable food chain All things that have literally happened in the last month. China wields this power with the threat of war. Russia now knows how to do these things too, but they aren't interested in war. They're interested in money. It's like ransomware is the bachelor and cryptocurrency is the bachelorette, but we're the ones getting fucked in the ass in the fantasy suite. A touche. Touche, m'lady. Russia has been using malware to attack American businesses and hold them hostage and demand ransom payments to unlock them. Like the Colonial Pipeline, which is a U.S. company that provides gasoline all up and down the East Coast. Last month, a Russian company called Darkside got into the computer system at Colonial Pipeline. They froze everything, causing an immediate gas shortage all along the East Coast that lasted 11 days. And they demanded a ransom payment of 75 Bitcoin to unlock the system. 75 Bitcoin is equal to around $4 million. Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency which cannot be traced. 
Once again, everything bad happening after the turn of the century can all be traced back to Facebook. The Winklevoss douche twins invented fuckbook, and when Mark Fuckerberg stole it from them, they took their rich Harvard privilege and invented, whoops, I mean invested everything (laughs) they had left in Bitcoin. Cryptocurrency is a criminal enterprise funding criminal endeavors for Russia, which is a criminal syndicate. (laughs) Sorry, everyone, your favorite new hobby of day trading Dogecoin (laughs) and XRP is worse than dumping 100 years worth of used diapers into the ocean. Cryptocurrency is so fucking shady and terrifying. There's literally one called Putin coin. Oh, my God. Well, they can't do ransomware attacks without the crypto. And lucky for them, Americans have got the crypto coming out of their asses. After the gas shortage, they targeted JBS USA, which is one of the world's largest food companies based in America, which specializes in beef. They got into the JBS system through an old defunct account, which hadn't been removed. Once inside, they froze everything, demanded a ransom, halting meat production and distribution until they were paid the ransom in full in cryptocurrency. It just seems like an actual joke that they went after gas and meat. You know what I mean? But Americans are basic bitches in more ways than one. And it's no joke. These... Russian and Chinese ransomware attacks are happening every single day, literally in America. And 80% of the time they go unreported, partly because the ransom demands include secrecy and partly because the companies don't want to report where they got the cryptocurrency and where the money went. They probably want to pretend they donated it to charity so they can write the whole fucking thing off at the end of the year. (laughs) It's scary as fuck. Shutting down an entire city's power grid is child's play to these people. And China doesn't care about ransom. They care about control and power. Yes, I said what I said. (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. Of the reported cases, they've already attacked water supply plants, hospitals, schools, transportation systems like ferries and subways, gas supply, food supply, and power grids. Last week, the Biden administration and Energy Secretary Jennifer Grandma's Home and Grandma's Pretty Granholm went on record urging private sector businesses to shore up their systems with every safety precaution imaginable. Because many of our frontline necessities like water, power, hospitals, food, gas come from the private sector businesses that are getting picked off by Russia for money. I just want to say before we go, they can literally do what happened in Texas with their power grid to any state in the union in five minutes. In fact, they probably did it to Texas. And though what happened in Texas was a nightmare, it really wasn't because it didn't happen to the rest of us. But also Texas was really lucky because most Texans use real fireplaces that aren't electric and they use real cars that aren't electric. (laughs) So they could keep warm and charge their phones. If a California power grid went down, there'd be 9,000 douchebags busking outside of Tesla dealerships. Okay, so now we get to find out what life is really like in Israel by talking to an everyday person who grew up there. This is our segment called Everyday People, where we get to talk to an everyday person from a different country, industry, or lifestyle than us. In the rotted age of social media, we all weigh in on issues removed from our own lives, from the rights of Amazon workers to the conflict happening in Israel and Palestine. 
but we don't really know what the fuck we're talking about until we hear from everyday people involved in those situations. The conflict between Israel and Palestine started before most of us were even alive, but in light of the most recent and ongoing violent attacks in the region and Julie's controversial yet brilliant spoken word op-ed on the matter, we decided we need to hear what life is actually, literally like every day in Israel. From the most basic of questions like, do they have matzo ball soup in Israel? To the most existential, like, does the entire Israeli army look like models? Or are there some ugly ones? And if so, that's really going to ruin my thing of calling it the Israeli supermodel army. <laughs> well, we're going to find out all of that and more because today we are talking to an everyday Israeli named Moses Hakmon. Now, here in America, Moses Hakmon is a celebrated artist who combined his contagious spirituality with his sexual falafel energy to captivate, in our opinion, the sexiest woman in America. That's Tr right. Trisha Paytas. But long before he was making sweet, beautiful love and YouTube masterpieces mm -hmm. with our personal role model, Trisha Paytas, he was living a regular, everyday life in Israel. So without further ado, here to give us his insightful and spiritual take on a divisive topic, please welcome real-life Israeli living in America, Moses Hackman. Hi, Hi Moses. Moses. Hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> okay, so right off the bat, give our 14 listeners the Moses origin story, okay? So like, where were you born? Where were your parents born? How did they find themselves in Israel? Was it like back in like Jesus times or, you know, and then when did you come to LA or America? Okay, that, that will take at least an hour. Okay, good, perfect. <laughs> now that quickly, my parents, my father is from North Africa, from Libya. My mom is from Turkey and as you know, Jews were at some point kicked out of Israel to the countries around it and then Believe me, came I know. back to Israel. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, of course, around the World War II, their families went back to Israel. And uh, my, mom, my mom and dad met in Tel Aviv. I was born in Tel Aviv. Mm. And um, I always wanted to pursue some kind of a creative career. And that wasn't easy in Israel. And that's how I ended up moving here, following just following my dreams. I wanted to be a sculptor, an architect, a philosopher, and it's not something I felt I could do back home. Because what's doing in Israel that there's there's just not a lot of opportunity? Yeah, there's no, I mean, it's very small. Yeah. So it's kind of a small town mentality. Right. There's not enough space for everyone to succeed. There's not enough, um, unless you know somebody. So if you're born into it, you know someone, you will be fine. How many years ago did you move here? 2002. I did my military service. And then um, I tried to go to college in Israel. I went for one year. It was horrible. And then I decided no matter what, I'll just work, save money and move to America. And that's what I did. Okay. So like the real burning question that I always have, and you know, Julie's Jewish. We, she hasn't been to Israel, so she's completely like embarrassing in that way. We were supposed to go in the, before the pandemic happened. We had like a whole exciting plan. But in Israel, is being Jewish, is it more of a religion or is it more of a culture? Um, so I think that's, that's really the main thing is identity. And I think growing up in Israel, you, you constantly grow under that umbrella of identity. So I think when you're in America, there's being Jewish. If you're an American Jew, there's being Jewish is one thing. When you live in Israel, you're Israeli. And then there's a question of how Jewish are you? <laughs> so you can be Orthodox Jew, 
you can go all the way to the extreme where it's basically a cult. It has nothing to do with Thank Israel. You. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> or, or you can be completely liberal and um, reforming and not be part of the religion, but then you're, you're still, people will call you Jewish. People call me Jewish, even though I don't identify as one. So it's a very interesting situation you're born into. I think that's why I ended up where I am with the majority of what I talk about is identity. I mean, and I think a lot of, because we were talking about this last night with American Jews, there's like the mm -hmm. spectrum. It's literally like being LGBTQ, <laughs> like, yeah. the, like you just said, re reconstruction, reform, conservative, orthodox, ultra-orthodox, blah, blah, blah. and I yeah. always wondered if that was going down in Israel. And you're saying that yeah. it is. Yeah, I mean, there's basically a huge divide in the Israeli community between mm. the ultra-orthodox which, honestly, I don't know why they get away with being called ultra-Orthodox cult. Right. Yeah. Why, why did they switch those words? You know, like, you can be here in a cult and say, no, I'm just ultra-Orthodox. I'm like, no, you're <laughs> ultra, you're extreme. That's an extreme, is yep. it? If you're in sports, you don't say, I'm ultra-skateboarder. It's an <laughs> yeah. extreme. You're in an extreme <laughs> right. sport of religion. Right. And... Even here with Christianity, they say right-wing Christians. Or right. they'll say something to show some sort of fundamentalism. But... Mm -hmm. Yeah, they don't do that with Jew with Jews. Exactly. Well, they never they want to call the it. extremes cults. Yeah, you know, like the Mormon cult. Right. <laughs> but they right. behave. But they behave that way. Like if you go, there's cities that are run by ultra orthodox. Their cities are closed. They have their own laws, rules. Oh my god. And and in the pandemic, that was a big problem, because Israel actually had a really good handle on COVID. But those communities did not believe in it, just like here when you have people that don't believe in medicine or science. Mm -hmm. So, and they live, you know, whole families, generations live together. They have their celebration, their prayer. So the, the virus just, you know, went really rampant over there and, and it came back and the whole country was again in the worst situation it was because of them. They had to take the military to go in and actually get people that were sick out. It, it was insane. You say you don't identify as Jewish. So here you're here, you're Israeli or not Jewish. But like growing up, like, did, did you do any religious things growing up? Right. Yeah. I mean, my parents celebrate all the holidays. We do all that. Um, you don't have a choice. You're just born into that. You <laughs> yeah. live in that life. So it's like Christmas. Is it the same in Israel with like Passover? Yes. Yeah. All the high holidays. All the, yeah. and it's right. but, and, but then there's no Christmas there or is there? Well, now people celebrate Christmas too, because it's fun. Everyone loves Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> what about like being kosher? Is that a thing there? Yeah, that's a big thing. And um, like my parents will keep kosher. So that's really simple. You don't mix meat and milk. Listen, They I don't know. eat, you <laughs> know, seafood of certain kind. And... Julie's family doesn't even do Christmas. So they're like really trying it over <laughs> I mean, here. Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. But the thing is that being an American Jew and my parents conservative Jewish, <laughs> but when it comes to Israel, no one really knows. It's just so enlightening to me yeah. to understand that you're, a person is Jewish and Israeli, but they're not necessarily Jewish right. <laughs> or religious right. or religious, yeah. I should say. But even with my parents, there was never a thing with God. You know what I mean? But they were Jewish. Right. <laughs> you know that's, what I mean? Uh, yeah, I see that with American Jews. Yeah, Yeah, that's like a thing. The, and I think the further people go from Israel, the more they claim to their Jewish identity. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times Israelis that leave Israel become even more Jewish. Oh, really? Because they feel, they feel bad that they left the country, the homeland. So oh. then they become even more and connect more to 
Judaism. Judaism. Which for me is a mystery. I'm still, I still don't know what Jewish means. Because I think, I mean, and that's my main issue with it, is that um, anything that just creates separation, I don't see the point for it. So why, why should I tell you that I'm different from you? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, maybe you like sushi and I like the barbecue. And tomorrow we'll call it the new kosher laws. You know, whatever. Who cares? <laughs> like, that's right. not my identity. Right. Yeah. That's just a preference I have with diet and I have preferences with relationships and I have preferences with my music. That doesn't separate me from you. But when people go around the world creating separation, that's when the problems start. And I think that's what we're dealing with in Israel and other countries is identity that leads to separation for no good reason. And well, now we have people on two sides of the wall fighting each other for something right. that is invisible, that doesn't exist. I'm curious to, to know, uh, when you grew up in Israel, when was it revealed to you that there was a conflict? You know what I mean? When were you first aware? Like, when were you first aware? Obviously, you're a kid. You guys are just, everyone's everyone. It's all cool. And then all of a sudden, bam, differences. Well, I mean, since I was a kid, I remember my dad going to the military because you go once every year for a month. You go back. So it's like the reserve, army reserve. So everyone does that. So as a kid, I remember my dad wearing uniform, having a gun, going to the military, and knowing that there was a danger about that, that he might not come back. Mm. So that was since I was, since I remember myself. Then in elementary school, there was the Gulf War, and we had to carry with us to, when I was really like seven, eight, um, carry a gas mask with us when we went to school. (gasps) So in case that, you know, Iraq sends over, you know, uh, shoots missiles, because it was all about that gas that they had and whatever. So, and then when the sirens will go off, you run to the shelter. So I remember being in the shelter with my family. And um, one day, for example, we went into the shelter and then they were talking about the gas might come through the seals in the door. So my dad stayed outside of the shelter and taped the door so no gas will come in. And if that would happen, he would have died. Oh, my God. And then, what what and is that, the shelter really quick? Like, a, describe the shelter. House. It's by code. Every house has to have a shelter. So it's a, basically it's a <laughs> thick concrete walls. It's a small unit that has thick concrete walls and a really thick um, iron door with a seal on it. So it's kind of like a safe. Like oh, if wow. you built a safe in a bank, if you imagine a safe in a bank here, that's what it looks like. Every house, every apartment has one everywhere. And that's by code, which is also interesting. I'm an architect. You see how architectural laws follows political stuff like that. Um, so, so I remember since I was a kid running into the shelter, all those things. Um, Israel is very small and we're surrounded by enemies. The other memory we have is that you can't drive more than two hours to one direction and not start fearing that you might go too far. Because you might go to a place where you won't come back. You'll get lynched or killed. So it's just very claustrophobic. It's very small. And it has that element of fear all the time. Yeah, it sounds stressful. Yeah. So the Gulf War happened and that was you were like eight or whatever, you know, very young. How long did that go on? Wasn't that years and years, the Gulf War? Well, the, the time that you actually get bombed happens for like short periods of time. So like now, the conflict now is the perfect example. So it will last for three weeks, four weeks. And at some point it will get resolved for a short amount of time. 
and then a few months will go by with nothing happening. Um, but after the Gulf War, there was the Intifada. So that was the uprising of the Palestinian people. The first uprising, so what they do is have suicide bombers. So usually they would target coffee shops and buses. Mm. So you would be afraid to be out in public. Mm -hmm. So going on a bus was scary. Going into a coffee shop was scary. Um, anywhere that you felt that there's a lot of people, you'd be like, I should stay away. Because yeah. there's a chance that something will happen there. Um, so now every mall has basically the security you have at LAX. Every place that has public gatherings has that level of security because of that. Oh my God. And what does that wow. do to you? Like, what is that emotionally, mentally, you know, on one hand, just for you personally, your mental health? And then, right? how, and then how do you evolve into trying to not hate everyone that lives around you? How, you know what I mean? How do you find compassion and understanding? And it just must be so hard. <laughs> Well, I personally claim and uh, I make that claim without any problem. Everyone in Israel has PTSD. Mm. All Israelis and all Palestinians have PTSD. That's the reason I don't expect them to solve the conflict. Mm -hmm. There's nobody there that is outside of that trauma. So you can't expect anyone there to make the right decision or find solutions for the conflict because everyone are um, growing up. I know people that died, friends from high school that died in the military, friends in high school that their siblings died while we were in high school in the military, mm -hmm. uh, people that died in bomb attacks. So you have PTSD. Every loud noise, you think it's a bomb. Every, every, every phone call, you think maybe something happened. You know? So there's really no uh, way out of it. It's around you all the time. So how come people don't, more people don't leave? Because it's hard to live. Can Every you... Israeli's dream is to be in America or something of that nature or That's Europe wow. or some That's country true. that doesn't have the conflict and, or and has opportunity. Wow. But then That's at the nice. same time, there's so many people who are Americans. I know people were two people I went to high school with moved to Israel because they were super right. Jewish and blah, blah, blah. they make Aliyah. Mm -hmm. And then I'm, now from your description, I'm just thinking it's just so interesting every israeli wants to be an american you have all these jews here who are like mm -hmm. i'm going to israel to be in the motherland <laughs> i mean if you lack meaning in life and mm -hmm. if you lack mm -hmm. social like mm -hmm. that social life when you go to israel it embraces you it's like moving to manhattan plus terrorism it's, but it's like yeah, moving because suddenly, suddenly you're engulfed with a social life that's very thick and, and right. it's there 24 7 you can always text somebody and go out and do something it's the opposite of here here it's more about the, the individual right over there it's about the community are there groups that are or social groups or whatever that are sort of dedicated to organizing israelis and palestinian togetherness mm -hmm. in schools or as adults i wouldn't say in school the ones that i know because i'm an artist the majority of people doing that are from the art world. Our artists are the people that are bridging the gap between. So I know musicians here that have ensembles that are made out of Muslims, Christians, and Jews, mm. and they will go and play on the, you know, they had an orchestra play on both sides of the wall mm. at the oh, same that's time. Cool. That's um, really cool. Movies, screenings, things of that nature. Yeah. I mean, I think artists are the people that see life and the value of life first. And the identity of the nation, the land after. 
yeah. think that the main issue is uh, people that identify with land. That's the yes. main problem. What were your feelings towards, I guess, Palestinians when you were there versus when you came here? It, are they the same now as they were when you lived there? No, I mean, it's definitely not the same. When you live in Israel, you have a blind spot. It's kind of a hidden thing. Because you never see Gaza or the West Bank. You never see the people that live there. You never see their conditions. So it's it's this really weird thing. You're like a horse with blinds on. And all you see is your life and your identity. And you're always under attack. Mm. Everything I described to you that you felt bad for me living there, it's 10 times worse for a Palestinian kid living in Palestine. 10 times worse. So... You have these two people that are living in an awful situation, but they don't really truly sense each other or know each other. So when I moved here, I would go to a store and the store, the person at the store would be like, he would recognize that I'm Middle Eastern, you know. So like, oh, where are you from? You know, and I'm like, well, I'm from Israel. He's like, oh, I'm from Palestine. I was like, great. You know, thank you for your service. <laughs> and we show up and... And we would talk about how we would never even meet, get to mm. talk or get along if we lived over there. So it's really interesting, like when you're, when there's no border between us, we're fine. But once you put a border between us, there's a problem. I'm okay. I'm gonna ask a stupid question that could be a, offensive to so people. You know, we do this podcast, and right now it's like everyone's so opinionated on. You know, Israel and Palestine, and I'm like the dumb and the dumb gay politics of this. So I'm new to it, even though Julie's been bugging on about it for 10 years straight. And I had to, you know, it's like I'm trying to find out. So my question is, you say it's 10 times worse for a kid in Palestine than the horror you described for like children in Israel. Mm -hmm. But I just want to clarify, like, it's not 10 times worse because Israel is 10 times meaner or more violent, right. or more aggressive. Right. And the the feedback I get is that that might be the impression here. So why is well, it 10 times worse for the children in Palestine? Because I think, because Palestine doesn't even have the government, the services. The, so like I described, I live in a small country with no opportunity. They live in a small village with no opportunity. You know what I mean? Like right. the size comparison, um, that, that's what's so mind-blowing is that I know my experience. I can't even imagine their experience, yeah. how much worse it is to be even. So it's hard for me to move to America. They don't even have an airport. So, you know what I mean? So it's like it's, it's really hard to even fathom what is happening there and i think both sides like i said everyone has ptsd both sides are suffering the people the right. politicians the politicians are the mm -hmm. people at war mm -hmm. and i think Always. that's why it's important to step away um, i usually don't talk about this subject because politics what it does it designed to divide you into two separate you and then when you go to talk about Israel-Palestine, everyone's like, okay, let's see what he's going to say. And then they either embrace you, you're on our side, or they hate you because you said the wrong thing and you're, mm -hmm. there's no middle ground. Mm -hmm. And even if you say, I just want people to get along, they're like, no, you it's... have to take a side. <laughs> right. And if you don't take a side, we're going to cancel you right now. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's why I say like, and, and then you get people like me that are very extreme to the other place where I identify as water. 
Right. So none yeah. of their arguments, talking points, politics uh, apply to me. I mean, if you finally get to a place where you're just sort of like, yeah, you just get on a side and do it. But it's certainly when with we're trying to at least in a lot of these scenarios, which is like this with you, we want to know what it's just like on the day to day. And because like you said, people don't. People are making opinions or having opinions and they're strong opinions, like you said, and it's just like there's a villain and there's an oppressor. There's a villain and there's an oppressor, but there's mm -hmm. millions of people who are just trying to get home and there's, a, you know right. what I mean? Or find a home or go to sleep or both on both sides, like just regular right. old people who are living. And I think people are discounting that. And um, that's why we wanted to like talk about it because it's like this vitriol coming for israel particularly and then not really understanding a what's going on mm -hmm. and b just having compassion for everybody involved who's suffering people in israel like again it's hard to understand that just there's a person that's trying to go to school go to college get a job and there's a person on the other side trying to do the same and then the politicians decide well we're going to go at it again and they rile up the extremists on both sides right and then you have either an extreme on the Jewish side, Israeli side, or extreme on the Palestinian Muslim side, do something. And it sparks another wave of war. And they're just, they're just brainwashing all day, every day on both sides to hate. So I think right. to walk into this discussion, you have to not have hate or judgment. Otherwise, you can't have a discussion. It's just going to be more of the same. Do they have a government in Palestine? I thought they didn't. They had, and then when the... Hamas took over, basically, which most countries declare them as a terrorist organization. They took over. So that's why I'm saying if you're a Palestinian person, now you have two governments coming at you, right? So you have your own government, which will go into your house, shoot rockets from your house onto the Israeli side, put your kids in danger, and then when your kids are killed, they're going to make you, like, you know, now you're holy, you're saint, you're going to get money because you sacrifice your kid, you know, and make Israel look bad, right? And then, so both sides, it just, I can say on our side, we don't do that. We go into shelters. We separate the military from the civilians. We, you know, we try to do the best. Even over there, when we, let's say, when we protect our, ourselves, we actually let them know, we're going to bomb that building. You have two hours to evacuate, you know, and so we do the best we can, but at the same time, we are responsible to some degree to that piece of land and the people in it, right? So how can we make that better? It's a tough That's one. That's the question. You mean? And right. what do you do with people, like you said, who are living in trauma, who aren't even willing to, or let's say Hamas isn't, mm -hmm. isn't, isn't willing. I hate you so much. We're never going to compromise with you. Right. And we're going to keep killing you. In addition wanted to know i mean we it's probably not even an answer to this question why does everyone around israel hate israel what is the problem what is the well, deal it's, it's politics because everyone's it's, so good looking <laughs> <laughs> i think it's again it's politics and um muslims and jews over the history of the world got along right christians and muslims don't i didn't know israel that. and the jewish israel and the jewish people were used to be that, it's, it's always, you know, when you have a clam and you have a piece of sand in it and it, the 
that pearl is created. That's Israel. We're that piece of sand, that grain between those worlds. When there'll be peace in Israel, there'll be peace in the world. Like right. Israel is, is a symbol. To me, Israel is not even real. It's more of a symbol of the human, you know, human conflict in the much larger scale of consciousness. I mean, really, you could even look at it physically, like literally physically, not even abstractly mm -hmm. as the as the mm -hmm. as the uh, idea of human conflict. Every religion wants to own it. Everyone wants to claim it. Everyone thinks they have a right to it. They you know what I mean? And they're mm -hmm. all there fighting right. all the time. <laughs> so <laughs> like, supposedly there's a place where God showed himself to people. Uh, right. And then they separated into their separated right. ways. Right. Instead of being united in that experience. Right. So that's that's the separation we still live today. And God doesn't talk to us now for some reason. I don't know why. He was so chatty. <laughs> he was so chatty. You know what I mean? I okay, so when did Hamas take over sort of their government in Palestine? Do you know? Like so like I said, I've been here since 2002. So it's been a while since I was there experiencing yeah. it firsthand. But was it a and, long time um, ago or was it like two years ago? It's been a while. I would imagine since the Intifada, so since the 90s, basically, um, since the uprising started in Palestine toward Israel, it just seems like from there it went downhill. Yeah. And but slowly there was less and less, because um, they would try to have peace talks. Yeah. If you remember, Rabin on our side tried to do the right thing. Well, I just watched on HBO the movie Oslo, which is about mm -hmm. the Oslo Accords. And I thought right. that was very revealing just about, you know, they, they were so close to having an agreement, yeah. so close. And then... So then an extremist on our side killed yeah. our prime minister. Right. Then Egypt made a peace, made peace with Israel. Mm -hmm. Then their prime minister got assassinated. Right, right. And then Palestine tried to make peace with us. And that's when Hamas moved in and were like, there will be no. no peace. Right. So I think... Part of why I left Israel is because I didn't see a solution in sight. Yeah. There's too many generations of people that are too deep into the conflict and they're not able to get past it because they it's like a cult. Yep. They were programmed their entire life that we're evil or they're evil. Like that right. there's no way to convince somebody. You'll you'll see children thinking like, Oh, if I see a Jewish person, it's like a monster, I'm gonna see a monster you know, on, on the other side, like they're really convinced that anyone on the other side of the wall is there to kill them. And it's really bad. It's really sad. And you said like it, like it's the politicians, but at this point, they don't really have politicians, right? Yeah, I guess you can say that they maybe have more of a dictatorship right now. Mm. And we okay. have a democracy to some degree. Yeah. What's it like financially? Like is everyone mm. sort of well off or is there a lot of income disparity no, in Israel? Most... It's pretty bad, actually, and especially now, because here people got unemployment, they got grants, while there was, you know, the country was shut down. In Israel, nobody got anything. Oh, all okay. the artists basically have gone bankrupt. All the so over there, you live really month to month, mm. and everyone are in debt, so you, everyone owes money. So you never have a plus on your account. You God. you can you can be in a minus, so you can use your credit card. Yeah. And you go as far as you can and you make as much as you pay as much as you can. The cost of living over there is insane. So if you if you put maybe let's say a quarter of your salary here on rent, over there it'll be sixty to seventy five percent of your income will go to your rent. 
it, it, there's just no so that oh, it costs as much wow. to live over there as here but you make a quarter of what you would make here what wow. do the rich people there do or are there any like uber rich people there there are and they usually travel outside of the country or live in their own little you know right like i'm saying do they are and... they doctors are they what, what can you be in israel where you make the most money it's usually business so either because it's a small country it's very monopolized mm. so we are basically hostages in israel because their borders are closed right so if i buy a car today i have to pay twice as much for what it really costs so if your car costs here twenty thousand, you pay forty thousand over there wow there's somebody making that twenty thousand. you know yeah, that's right. and then so the people that are in charge of import and export for example you'll be very rich you know if your um, high tech mm-hmm. is a big, you know, a lot of the world technology, you know, today comes from Israel, especially security, wow. safety. Oh, you know, Silicon Valley has direct flights to Israel. Like that's <laughs> Intel, Microsoft, Google, all of the con- all of those big companies, their heart is in Israel. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's great. That that's is very interesting. Tell us about really quick about the army. So what age do you have to go in? And, you know, you said before that you can, everybody has to go back every year for a month. How long does that last? Do they have 70-year-olds up in there for a month or <laughs> like? There's kind of a retirement age. I think it might be 45 or somewhere between 40 and 50. Well, that's um, just rude now. It was a little too young to be putting people out to pasture, but okay. When you grow up, it's normal. Everyone around you, there's so many people in uniform. And um, basically, when you graduate from high school, you get drafted. And I think it's, um, it's, for them, it's the right age to catch you because you're too young to know any better. So you still have, so basically, 18 to 21, your best years, where you have the most, like, you know, growth and you still have a lot of, I don't know, you're still growing. You're basically becoming between a child and an adult. At that moment, they put you in uniforms, give you a gun, and put you in the middle of a really awful situation. So and that's just so indoctrinating, too. You're so vulnerable just to, like, thought at that age. Yeah, because you really feel that if you don't do it, you're doing something wrong. And the society is designed in a way that they'll look at you like you're not doing your part. And But the worst part is that you're still immature. So a lot of times, Israeli soldiers will not do the right thing at a certain situation because they're kids. They're kids with guns, and suddenly you need to be in control of a family or react to somebody throwing a stone at you or somebody spitting at you or something even worse or not. But to expect them to do the right thing with minimal training is insane. So there's a lot of mistakes that we do on our side as far as our military because we have children running it. So you don't have to go into it. We thought we, you know, our impression was that everybody has to join it. So you, act, people have a choice, but you're sort of shamed if you don't do it. Is that what well? You're saying? When I when I was there, you had to go. If you didn't want to go, you had to either prove that you're mentally ill, like crazy. So people will do like insane things to <laughs> prove that they're crazy. Right. Or you had to become ultra religious. Mm. And and the and the government will constantly try to do things of like, well, if you're mentally ill and you can't go to the military, then you can't get a driver license. So they'll find ways to, right. you know, 
um, if you go to get a, if you have a job application, it will ask you, what did you do in the military? Mm. And if you say, well, I didn't go, and that guy is like all patriotic, and he went, why didn't you go? Right. You're not going to get the job. So there's lots of ways, hidden ways. What did you do in the military? I was in the Air Force. Did you fly a plane? <laughs> yeah. I, fly, I flew small airplanes and helicopters. The majority of people are soldiers. The majority of people are either physically harmed, mentally harmed, Ugh. emotionally harmed from oh, the God. service. To us, it felt like you're in prison for three years. Oh. We count the days, everyone. You count, you count it back. We count the days. How many days until I get out? Um, high rates of suicide, mm. high rates of sexual assault, high yeah, rates of say. bullying, high rates of yeah. everything you can imagine in that power dynamic. And then the people that stay in the military to, that becomes commanders and officers are people that have nothing looking for them in the civilian life. They're like, oh, there's nothing for me out there. I might as well stay here. Mm. And that's end up becoming your commander, you know. Honestly, you, you, I, you've taught us yeah. so much in less than an hour today. And so thank you for that. Um, I hope that people get a real sense of what everyday life is for people who live in Israel and Palestine. Um, but before we let you go, please, please, please <laughs> tell us about Faces of Water. Um, okay. How did you become an insanely talented spiritual artist and what led you to water as your sort of uplifting medium? Well, I studied art. So like I said, I, since I was 10 years old, I was dealing with the big questions of life, right? And I wanted to find what is the agency in nature, in life? Who is making what, right? Because uh, the whole idea of God, the way it was described to us or religion, all those things didn't fit to me. And I wanted to find something a bit more natural and organic. Um, so I delved into that world. Then I studied architecture. And in architecture, I studied trees as architecture. I was like, okay, if a tree is a building, who's the architect? Who's making? Who's, who lives in the tree? And moving forward fast, the answer was water. Water is that living being that is flowing through everything that is alive. So, and that's for me why my focus is on my identity as water rather than soil. So they say ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It's the opposite. It's water to water. The living entity in your body is the water. And that goes back to the ocean. Mm. And that's when a baby is made. It's mainly, you know, it's the fascia is like this skin that's been built, pumped into it. It's like a balloon that is basically made. And even today, we're still made in water. You know, babies are not made out on in a rock and you and you hatch it and there's a baby in there. We're still made inside of an ocean. So so that that world led me into understanding that water is alive. It's basically our the best symbol we can use for the soul. Sorry, for the soul. And as I was doing that, I discovered this technique, this to to photograph water for the first time. And when I saw the first image, I knew immediately what I was looking at. I was like, there's no way. This, this is it. This is the blueprint for life. This is water in motion. And, um, and then it just took off from there. You know, it has its own life. So I've just been following it. it to where yeah, I we know. saw you, you did a, like an exhibit on the sound bath. And we mm -hmm. love that sound bath. It was in, the one in Palm Springs. You might oh, have yeah. done many. 
And we were like so excited because we love that place. And, the Integratron in Joshua Yeah, the Integratron. <laughs> yeah. So was your, were, were your photographs all around the outside? Yeah, Is it was that... 165 feet long prints oh of images of water. Yeah. Um, the film that I developed for the images is made out of nanoparticles. So my images can be blown up to any size and you will never find a pixel in them. Like you could put it on the size of a house and there wouldn't be one pixel. That's yeah. crazy. That is crazy. They look like living. They look like water on the people, side of yeah, the building. And people need to go and see because it looks like water. And then you're like, wait, is that a manatee? <laughs> I mean, it's like they look, it, right. it looks like there's animals in it. Yeah. But it's just I've water. seen. I've seen any living being and anything you've seen in the biological world, I've seen it just in water. I have thousands of images. And that's why from there I learned a lot about the movement of life. Mm. So before there's even a body, first there's a movement. And that movement takes form and that movement eventually builds a body. But consciousness itself is made out of movement. And then it becomes, you know, music is a movement, social movements, political movements. Life is about movement. And as they take form and shape, they, they basically represent what the movement is, what the intention is within consciousness. Mm. When you see a dolphin or a shark, you immediately know the intention, the movement <laughs> that is coming your way. Yeah, that's true. You are a philosopher. It's happened. <laughs> Congratulations. You did it. You made it. I mean, I'm like, check. Got that one done. <laughs> So tell our 14 <laughs> listeners, because I'm quite sure they've all got major oh, WAPs. Major WAPs. The boys and girls have the WAPs yep. all over the place. Yep. So tell them where they can find you. If you, if they don't know what you look like, they must see you. Part of the Israeli supermodel <laughs> army. And where they can see your work. Yeah. Well, I, I try to put everything in one place, and it's channel water on YouTube. I try to have everything go there eventually. Um, I'm on Instagram, Moses Hackman, TikTok, you know, we're doing the whole, Can't be Trish the whole thing. Well, not listen, be on TikTok, and, honey. I know. I exactly. Mean, and... Thank you so much. That was great. You were such a good sport. Yeah. You would, like, it was such a pleasure and delight talking to you. Thank you so much for coming and being on Same our show. Thank you. It was really fun. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Now it's time for So There's That. All right, so this is the part of the show where Julie has to find a so there's that moment that's happening because of or in spite of the diarrhea toilet Republicans and the ignorant Facebook Fox News army that follows them. America is filled to the brim with corrupt corporate cocksuckers from Jeff Bezos to Bill Gates. And yes, I said Bill Gates. Sociopaths who amassed their fortunes by exploiting the bureaucratic barf bag of the United States government, which in turn gave birth to 70 million broke Paranoid assholes who mistrust the government so much that they stormed the Capitol in the name of ridiculous blood-sucking conspiracy theories. The entire situation is depressing and unbelievable. And the government finally admitting that they lied about the existence of aliens and UFOs for the last 60 years isn't helping. But luckily, we've got Julie here every week to help us pretend that things in America aren't actually getting worse. So tell us, Meow Meow, what is your So There's That for this week? Well... I want to thank you for this week's So There's That, and I'm very excited about it. 
Now, I'm thinking for the first time in the So There's That History, we're going to have to do a follow-up and stay on top of this story as it unfolds, and we can all meet back here to high-five and congratulate ourselves. Now, I'm not an America, America, America type person, but I have to say, this woman makes me feel very, a very, a very, a very, a very, a very proud. So here's the deal. The Olympics is coming up in Tokyo. They won't cancel, and people can't believe it's still happening. Tokyo had some new COVID outbreak, and as of five days ago, 10,000 Olympic volunteers have quit. Now, if one were to make an educated guess as to why Japan isn't canceling the games, I think it's pretty straightforward. They built new stadiums, hotels, spends a shit ton of money doing renovations, and they will be out of millions and billions of dollars, and they need the money. The question is, why aren't they getting the vaccine? They're like Good the least... Question. They have the least vaccines of like any country, supposedly. So crazy. Now... I'm not entirely convinced that the Olympics is still going to happen, but as of now, it is still going on. I mean, plus imagine the travel companies, the airlines, the other countries, the kids that have beaten and abused their whole lives just, just to get to this moment. There's a lot at stake here. I also learned it's not even Tokyo's actual call. The IOC, which is the International Olympic Committee, which owns technically the Olympics, which is weird. Have you even thought about like the Olympics being owned by an entity like as if Mark Cuban is sitting in a box somewhere eating vegan shrimp and looking weird. And he's like, the Olympics are going to go on. No, that's not, it's not, it's, it's, a he's not a vegan. Is he? I think he is. Oh, it wouldn't surprise me if Mark Cuban owned the Olympics. No. <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah, that's a good point. Well, there is an actual governing owning governing and owning body of the Olympics who are going to decide if they will cancel it or not. So technically speaking, it's up to them. Uh, the IOC is based in Switzerland, and I'm quite sure we could name several countries who, and listen, this is just a guess, are laundering money, hiding money, paying judges off. And as we know from watching the movie Icarus, the Russians are for sure at the very least trying to throw out the blood tests of their athletes, which are riddled with steroids, juicing, cheating, and just general shady ass low down monkey in a wig business. If you haven't watched Icarus, stop what you're doing and watch that immediately. Do not watch another Olympics or another Russian anything without seeing <laughs> that documentary. Russia is just, they're a bunch of big fat cheaters. It's a fact. Russia is technically banned between 20, 2020 and 2024. So they're technically banned from the Tokyo Olympics, but they're, uh, the athletes can sort of still be there as long as they're not representing Russia's flag and Russia, the country. So they can go under like a flag of their making, like a, you know, I don't know, like borscht or just... They say like the Republic of the East or something weird like that. I mean, and it's just bullshit because you all, we all know it's Russia. The ban is fake and it's just stupid. Now, this is not the first time the Russians were fake banned from the Olympics either. Russia has a well-known reputation for cheating. And because of that, they've been stripped of 47 Olympic medals and tens of hundreds of world championship titles. Now, this is a quote going back to 1980 where an Australian study said... There is hardly a medal winner at the Moscow Games, certainly not a gold medal winner, who is not on some sort of drug or another, usually several kinds. The Moscow Games might as well have been called the Chemists' Games. It's 1980. In 2019, the highest sports court in the land ruled that Russia was engaged in a cover-up of a cover-up of covering up doping and cheating by their athletes and determined that the number of athletes that have cheated over the years is impossible to quantify. So here we are. Dealing with these cheaters, in addition to dealing with their hacking, as we discussed before, their motherfucking hacking and scheming and 
it's just egregious what they're doing along with their butt buddy China to this country and God knows who else they're holding for ransom. I think capitalists are annoying. How do you feel about a nation full of cheaters and another one full of copiers? Oh, ding. Oh, but the Olympics is where we all come together. There's no borders. There's no, none of that exists here. Copiers, cheaters, killers, rapists, none of that. None. We don't do that. We're just athletes. We don't belong to countries. There's no politics. Really? Um, I'm going to go ahead and argue. In fact, it's the opposite. A bunch of countries parade around in a terrible opening ceremony in awful costumes. And let's be honest, America is the worst. I'm sorry. I like Ralph Lauren, but he needs to stick to sheets and button downs because the USA outfits are hid. Yes. But we should have dropped out when they said they thought athletes couldn't wear Black Lives Matter. I mean, that would have been the move. Like, uh, go yes. fuck yourself. Oh, I mean... Go basically, go fuck yourself, Switzerland. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not Japan saying they can't wear that. It's Correct. Switzerland, that apparently, right. since they own the Olympics. That go fuck yourself. We're right. wearing what we want. We're wearing our political statement. Go fuck yourself. You're not neutral. You're clearly in bed with fucking Russia. So fuck off. Yeah, you're supposed to be neutral. I totally want to go to Geneva, though. I do. I want to go to Switzerland so bad. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the Olympics. It's an antiquated and far-fetched idea of the friendly competition and fellowship of man. And really, it's the competition and competition of man. And it's some weird litmus test for how good your country is by winning or losing these sports. And these athletes spend their lives competing and live and die on some Olympic hill that is just laden with tears, injuries, undeveloped puberty organs. And I will, however, concede to some very exciting figure skating and gymnastics. Don't forget molesting on the hill. Oh, molesting. Molesting. You're absolutely right, yes. Now, as we all know, all roads lead to women's gymnastics. When you think of famous women in the Olympics, at least for me, the names are always gymnasts. Like Mary Lou Retton, the most famous gymnast of them all. And of course, uh, Oksana Bayul. Like, these are just names that we know. They're just, they're, they're the gymnasts. She's a ice skater, Oksana oh, Bayul. Okay, well. Well, we know Bruce Jenner. <laughs> I mean, oh, there are, true. but you're right. It's just that all roads lead to women's Eventually, gymnastics period yes i mean even if you're doing track and field and you're doing some exciting stuff there you're just waiting for the gymnastics you're yeah. just waiting for the fucking gymnastics yeah so <clears throat> now as we know the biggest rivalries for gymnastics are russia america and china russia comes hard they fucking beat those kids into submission doping and juicing and cheating but they have produced themselves some crazy good athletes. I mean, listen, if I could take steroids and I had good training, I believe I could have been a champion speed skater. Those little those little children that are in Russian, the Russian Olympics, though, are those are human trafficked yeah. slaves. I mean, the, that's just another reason why the whole thing should just be called called off. We don't need to give Russia another reason to human traffic people. And I'm going to go ahead and, and theorize that most of the country's little kids are those little girls are being trapped. Tra just try not to think. Of, you can't even think about it. But let's 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 focus on more happy, <laughs> happy things, which is, of course, tuning into this Olympics if we're going to for any reason. And the only reason is for Simone motherfucking Biles. The girl is the most amazing gymnast that has ever lived. I'm going to even say, I guess she's better than Mary Lou Henner. Um, I'm sure everyone just saw her incredible feat of flying the other day. She just won her seventh gymnastic title. She's the first woman to win back-to-back -back Olympic titles in 50 years. She gained more height than a goddamn eagle taking off from the floor to the air in her last floor routine, and it was majestic and magical and so goddamn inspiring. Nothing gives me more pleasure than knowing that she's going to go to the Tokyo Olympics, and then I have a, a daydream of Putin... And all those child abusing fuckbags shaking in their boots because they know no matter how much steroids and hacking and ransomware, which, you know, we can't deny they're really good there. They are really top of their game. 
if there was great at cheating yes if there was an olympics (laughs) in cheating russia would be the winner um and which is why they win the olympics which is a game of cheating that is correct uh and which is why they have been winning in ransomware and hacking because that is also a game of cheating now putin is happy about it but but what makes his dick hard is winning in sports he wants the Olympics. He's always wanted the Olympics. It's a it's just a thing. I don't we it's, well, according to Icarus, mm-hmm. it's it's important. He a lot of times before the Olympics, he will do some shit where he bombs up the Ukraine or he pulls right. some shit that he can't hide because usually he likes to make his moves undercover. So he pull if he knows I need a bomb, this is really going to look bad for me with all the people. So he bombs Everybody gets mad at him. He sends in the droids and the, you know, robots that he's, you know, put the steroids in and then they go in and then his popularity goes right back up even higher than it was before he murdered thousands of innocent people. <laughs> that, well, then there you have it. So he wants to win. And as we know from his shirtless calendar pictures, I think he has a thing with sports. You know what I mean? Like, well, we owned the calendar. It was 2019. Yeah. It had what him on a horse. Yep. Him fishing, hunting, and and biking, and coming out of the water. And, yeah, and holding dogs, and he's just in, he has a thing about being an an athlete. I think. So, okay, he's sitting there in the Kremlin, going over all his blueprints and his hacking itineraries. But what keeps him up at night is that an American woman of color is coming for him, and he cannot fucking deal with it now just remember this year the russians aren't even allowed to wave their flag or wear russian clothing so he's not even going to get the benefit of being you know represented with all of his flagrature but simone biles she is she's our summer hero she's not only risen to the top in a sport which has been prominently white and turned everyone out now she's going to the olympics where she with nothing but her talent hard work uniqueness charisma and charm and hardcore athleticism is going to kick the world's ass and the sweetest part of all of it is knowing that no matter how much they try to cheat and lie and steal and backdoor and scheme they're going to lose and simone biles is going to win so there's that So that's it for this episode of Dumb Gay Pandemic Politics. Thank you guys for listening to our stupid podcast. We love and appreciate all 14 of you so much. If you're new here and you like us, but you'd rather not hear about politics, please consider checking out our Patreon podcast. Our Patreon podcasts are completely different than this. There's no politics, no ads, no structure, no rules, and best of all, no pressure to join the Patreon. (laughs) We do two a week every week, but unfortunately, those aren't free. (laughs) No, they are not, but they're only a dollar, a dollar per podcast. You can choose whether you want one podcast a week for $1 or two podcasts a week for $2. And when you sign up, you will immediately get access to our huge back catalog, which has hundreds of hours of stupid, stress-free, ad-free podcasts. If you want to hear what it's like before you commit, we have a free one posted that anyone can listen to. Just go to patreon.com slash dumbgaypolitics and scroll down the locked podcast until you get to the one called Windows Up Sing Time. And then just press play. You can listen to the whole hour right there from your phone or computer. You don't have to download anything or sign up for anything. 
And if you just want to stick with the free podcast, that's fine. We appreciate you being here. But please go on iTunes and leave us a review. We want to get to 2,021 reviews before the end of 2021. And we're almost there. We only need like like 50, 20 more. I don't even know. Just <laughs> We're almost to 2,000. It's like going to be probably, probably very like, exciting. Maybe like 30 away. Oh, that's cool. And thank you to everyone who went on and left us reviews after last week's episode. We love you guys. Yes, we read them all. And as always, it's been real and it's been fun. But mostly it's been gay and it's been dumb. And Moses motherfucking Hackman. I love you, Moses. How'd you do, I? See, you've met my faithful handyman. He's just a little broad dime because when you not. He thought you were the candy man. Don't get strung up by the way I look. Don't judge a book by its cover. I'm not much of a man by the light of day. But by night I'm one hell of a lover. I'm just a sweet transvestite. From transsexual. Transylvania <laughs> Let me show you a rhyme and maybe play you a sign You look like you're both pretty groovy Or if you want something visual That's not too abysmal We could take in an old Steve Reeves movie I'm glad we caught you at home Could we use your phone? We're both in a bit of a hurry. Right. We'll just say where we are, then go back to the car. We don't want to be any worry. Well, you got caught with a flat wheel. How about that? Well, babies, don't you panic. By the light of the night, it'll all seem all right. I'll get you a satanic mechanic. I'm just a sweet transvestite From transsexual Transylvania <laughs> Why don't you stay for the night? Right. Or maybe a bite right. I could show you my favorite obsession I've been making a man with blonde hair and a tan And he's good for relieving my tension I'm just a sweet transvestite From transsexual Transylvania <laughs> hey, hey, I'm just a sweet transvestite From transsexual Transylvania So, come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. I see you shiver with anticipation. But maybe the rain is really to blame. So I'll remove the cause. <laughs> but not the symptom. <laughs> <laughs>